Hey everyone, Anna Lytle here. And Kat Pusey. And welcome Welcome to to the the Modern Modern Farm and Artisan Co-op Podcast. We're here connecting you to the lives and stories of our local farmers, makers, and educators that are all dedicating themselves to positively and powerfully impacting the Southern Utah community. So today I am interviewing Anna Lytle, and she is the main host of this show. Just to give you some background on her, let's crack into it. I don't, I, this is going to be so much fun for me because I actually really don't know Anna that well. We've only uh, started hanging out for two weeks, three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And it was basically to start this podcast. So yeah. we're venturing out <laughs> into friendship land and podcasting together. So this is going to, I'm going to learn just as much as you are. So, So Anna, why don't you tell us about yourself? Like what's some background? How did you get here today? Okay, so I actually grew up in and around Austin, Texas. And if anyone is familiar with Austin, you know, it's definitely kind of more, I don't know, hippie. The slogans keep it weird, right? Yeah, right. So everyone's very health conscious. And my parents were definitely on that boat. My dad actually grew up like working in health food stores and all that. So growing up, that was definitely a part of my background. And when I was six, we actually took a year off from Austin and moved to Michigan. And we lived in like this tiny farmhouse on like our 200 acre farm. Whoa. <laughs> and they had like a 200 year old barn and it was like a child's dream. Wow. So I spent what would have been my first grade year. I didn't go to school. My mom was very unconventional. We did like an unschooling year. Oh my gosh. So I spent that year literally outside the entire time I would play in the woods with my dogs I'd build forts with my dad I'd play in the snow I'd find animal bones and like recreate what I thought were all these unique creatures (laughs) and then yeah I would explore the old barn and I'd find like all of this like really cool stuff in the forests and I think when I look back like that year probably has dictated all my interests now really yeah, just because I think back to that year and I think of how influential that was on what I'm interested in now. Because it inspired imagination or what? I think it was a little bit of everything because, I mean, it definitely inspired my, my imagination. I mean, I didn't really, I had like one friend that I made that year because I didn't go to school. I was like, were they real? <laughs> They were real. Yes, they were real. But I mostly, I mean, it was mostly me and my two dogs and we would just spend, I mean, I I think back on that now. I'm like, why did my parents let me wander off into these woods in Different the middle time. of nowhere? Different I know. <laughs> but I mean, I was a six-year-old with my two dogs and I would literally leave after breakfast and then come back at dinner. Like I have maybe one memory that whole oh, year of being inside. That is like so cool. Yeah. So and Monty's parents, my husband, his his parents did that too. Like really? she would even tell me, she's like, I had send him down to the river and told him not to come home till noon. And I was like, what? But how great That's for awesome. you. I guess if you knew that the 200 acres were yeah. yours. Yeah. No, it was, it was a pretty cool setup. And just loving these stories. The more you talk about your family, the more I'm like, I'm into this. My, yeah, my, <laughs> I my hope my son are- makes a podcast and it's saying exactly these things about me in 20 years. <laughs> I think my parents were definitely ahead of their time. Like I I joke with my dad now that if he was my age with all the things that he's into and he grew up doing, he'd be like the coolest guy ever because he did yoga in the 60s. He walked around barefoot with like his long wavy hair and, you know, he worked in health food stores, was into like all of this, you know, all the stuff that millennials and whatever are into now. And so then you... You moved from Michigan back to Texas? Yeah. So okay. after that year, we moved back to Texas. And then I went to Waldorf School. I don't know if you're familiar.
familiar with that. I am, but only because my friend is certified. So okay, tell our listeners. So Waldorf is started. It was started by Rudolf Steiner like a hundred years ago now, and he was like an Austrian philosopher, and he started this school for factory workers for their kids to go to because he had all these ideas about childhood education and how children ought to be taught and it wasn't in line with how most kids were getting education if they were getting an education at all so his whole thing was all nature-based so he thought that from like the age of like zero to seven the kid's best classroom was outside. And so then when like seven to 14 is when you would be developing, he had like, it was called thinking, feeling, willing, where he like classified the different age groups. So I think zero to seven was your willing, like developing the child's will. Seven to 14 would be developing the child's feelings. And then 14 to 21 would be developing the child's thinking. That's like high school, college. Because that's when that comes into play. So that's like when you're when you're you know all on your head and and when you can control your own emotions you can think right. clearly. Was one thing that's really different about Waldorf. They don't test until you hit high school, and then like they don't. That's a private school. They don't have to meet like the state requirements. So everything was really laid back. Like they don't put pressure on kids to read until really like fifth or sixth grade. And they've noticed that kids just do it. They'll have kids that maybe don't really read until sixth grade, and then they're reading at a high school level. Really, like it just. Wow. Like, so that's the school I went to for second, third, and fourth. And then I was homeschooled slash unschooled for four more years. I got really into horses and I thought that was going to be like my full-time life. Like that was going to be my future was probably going to be like an equine vet is what I thought when I was that when I was that age. So my parents took me out of school and I did horses like full time. I had two horses and that's another really fun experience. Me and my dad, we would just go ride our horses bareback through the woods and find wild what? blueberries and blackberries and this stuff. childhood? I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like a great American novel or something. <laughs> I know. I think back on that too. Like all the fun adventures I had with my horses. Are you an only child? No. So I have three older siblings. So I have a brother that's 14 years older than me and then my sisters are 10 and 9 years older than me but they're all out of the house yeah i basically was an only child right from like that's like my seven, little sister too like, yeah seven or eight years old i was the only one home i think i just thought this was interesting too that you brought this up at some point when we were talking in waldorf school you were doing stuff like sewing and yeah dyeing so, with plants so and- every year they would have like a, a handwork class and i can't remember because i wasn't there in first grade but i think in second grade we started with like knitting and then i think because i wasn't there fifth sixth seventh and eighth so i don't know what they did for those grades but i know my classmates learned like sewing and um i think they do dye with like plant dyes they like dye the wool um because they do felting and i'm pretty sure they do like embroidery like they learn all the handwork skills because that's part of the Steiner philosophy is head heart and hands so you try and connect all of them together but yeah then in the older grades like in high school we did blacksmithing and um like yeah (laughs) you're on my apocalypse island when that happens, you're coming remember. on here. <laughs> thing, that's what kills me. Like, I don't remember because we did we did like sculpting and um, basket weaving and like all this stuff. And I'm just like, why can't 
I remember. <laughs> if only I'd known my future self would want to be like a homesteader, this would have been like the dream. But in third grade, we did garden. We had a school garden and the third graders were in charge of running it all. And I remember that and I thought that was, I had so much fun. Like I I was a typical tomboy, usually covered in dirt, wearing horse t-shirts and <laughs> my jeans and my boots. And like, that this. was- I love this. Oh my gosh. That I was love me. It so much. And then this is really like a very interesting story to me. I'm like so into this and I've repeated it to like seven people. And oh like, my gosh. This is the coolest, craziest story. Listen to this. So you have this wild child upbringing where you're just nature baby learning all of this stuff. You want to be a horse vet. And then you turn to this military career. Yeah. So then when I turned 16, again, my mom pulled me out of the high school um, because of all the work I was doing with my homework and stuff. Our local community college had a system where I could do dual enrollment. So Mm -hmm. if I was homeschooled, I could go to college full time and for free, which is an awesome program. So that's what I did instead of doing high school classes with my mom, I would just go to college and she would count that as my high school and college credit. Oh, wow. So that's what I did. All these smart kids with all these opportunities. I just want this life. But then I was trying to figure out how I was going to pay for the rest of my schooling because at that time I wanted at that time. So I've switched professions. I like so many times I wanted to be an astrophysicist. I wanted to be a geologist, a veterinarian. And so I was like, how am I going to pay for all these degrees? (laughs) And when I was around 17, I really started getting interested in like international relations and foreign policy. I don't know why. I don't remember like what the tipping point was, but I think there's probably a lot of stuff going on in the world. And I'm always really interested in history. I, I love history. I could probably be a history professor and be so happy because I just I love it I think it's so interesting and history plays a huge role yeah in everything that's happening now um so I think that was probably the spark that kind of really got me interested in that and so I was thinking of going down like an FBI career path and to do that I knew that joining the military would be a huge benefit because they really like hiring veterans so when I was 17 I joined the National Guard and so I Went off to that. Um, and that's actually where I met my husband. That's another side story. You know, I was <laughs> off pursuing my career. And then literally like a week into it, I meet my husband. <laughs> side rail. <laughs> Which was not allowed. I it love was how not, you, it's not allowed. It was not allowed. We didn't start dating. <laughs> yeah. So technically, technically, we didn't start dating until after we had our training. So don't worry. Don't worry. It was all, it was all okay. So yeah. So I... I went to my training for my job and then they sent me out to California to learn French, which is really funny because I'd always wanted to learn French because my my family background, like 50% of my DNA is French. So that was kind of like a really fun unplanned thing that happened like I had no idea they're gonna send me there and, and then they just but sent you, me. you were going to learn French because you were going into in- interrogation interrogation <laughs> yeah and for those who don't know French is spoken in much of North Africa so and a lot like even in the Middle East like a lot of the government they know French yeah that and that was funny because that was going to be my area of interest like I was really interested in what was happening in the Middle East and North Africa and that was how that all happened and then <laughs> with the national guard you know you're not active so you only have to drill like once a month so after I finished all my training in California 
that's when I, that's when me and my husband got married and he was stationed in Georgia. And so we lived there for a while. And then when he got out, we moved to Utah because that's where he's from. After, after I just had my daughter, um, so this was like two and a half years ago, um, my husband's a firefighter, so he would be gone for one to two days straight. So I had a lot of downtime (laughs) and, um, I started watching like documentaries and reading books about sustainability. I think one of the ones was about the fashion impact on the environment. And that kind of sent me down the rabbit hole. And like, I just could not stop learning about this stuff. Because it's really funny because, you know, you think growing up in Austin and having the parents and the background that I had, that that would have still been a part of like my daily life. But somehow I'd kind of like drifted away from it. Like I still tried to buy organic and I don't know, it, it, it kind of wasn't as much a part of my life as now that when I think back, like, I don't really know what what shifted me away from it, but I went back to it full force. (laughs) Um, So yeah, for like the past two and a half years, I have not stopped learning about this stuff. And it's just, it's kind of become a passion. Like I think it's so important for people to learn about it because, you know, I was kind of one of, it's so funny. I was like one of those people that are like, ah, climate change, what's the big deal? Like that was me. Right. (laughs) I always thought it was something, you know, separate outside of myself. Like what role did I play? It wasn't, there was nothing I could do. And then I learned the truth that everyone can make a difference. <laughs> yeah, so now I'm I'm gardening and um, really into the whole regenerative agriculture. I think that's so, so exciting and so important for people to learn about. Yeah, that's... That's basically how I how I got here. That's awesome. And you do know a lot. Like, it's crazy when we're sitting here and talking, like the few times that we've actually talked together and you've done so much research and you remember it. That's crazy. But also when you're a kid, I think it's really easy to just, especially in that environment, you wouldn't really know different and you would just think that you were just having this beautiful childhood. So this all has sparked you to go on, you're trying to do a zero waste journey, right? Or right. just as much local, it's gotten you locally right. focused, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause so, yeah. So, cause zero waste, I mean, as of right now, it's really hard for anyone to be zero waste. I mean, if you live like in California or New York city, they have a lot more resources to help with that. Like they have like the zero waste stores. Mm-hmm. But here, that's really not as easily accessible as I wish it was. But yeah, there's a lot of things that we can do here to definitely reduce our waste. What's your favorite thing that you've started doing? Like since you've been on this journey, what's one routine or something that has brought to light for you that every time you do it, you're just like, oh, this is such a huge thing. Like I love doing this and it makes such a big difference. I think composting is one of the things I've done that's made the biggest impact because I know when we, so before I start any of this, I remember like three or four years ago, we would fill up our trash can every single week, like to the brim. If we didn't get out to the curb, we'd be in trouble because we'd have no place to put the rest of our trash. And now we put like a tiny itty bitty um, grocery sacks worth of trash in the trash can every week. Like that's how much we've dropped it down. And we're a family of four. Yeah. I was like, do you have some advice for like a family of four? Because that sounds even me who tries like that is incredible. Like, what do you do? I think probably the biggest thing is reducing like your plastic packaging. Mm-hmm. So like I have these little like these little bags that I take with me and I use the bulk section at Harmon's and Smith's. Mm-hmm. 
So, because they have so many options. I don't know if you've seen their bulk section, yeah. but you can pretty much get anything. Like I like to bake. So I'm always getting like chocolate chips and, and flour and sugar and all my spices and my beans for my soups. And, and what's nice is that one, it cuts down on packaging and also 10% of prices goes towards packaging. Right. So when you cut that out, you're saving 10% because you're not paying for packaging. And also you're not getting all the preservatives and all like the synthetic right. stuff that they stick wow. in there. Yeah. Like you're getting just plain food. So like with all my beans, like I get them dry and I soak them and I cook them and then that's what I like freeze them and then use them for my soups. And so I've definitely had to learn a lot about making my own food. I will say it takes more time. (laughs) For those of you who are so busy and have a really full life, I can see how that would seem so overwhelming. But I think if you have older kids, you can get them involved. Like my kids love to help me. You know, I think I think when they're, you know, when they're older and they'll look back and they'll remember baking with mom mm-hmm. or, you know, making soup with mom and cutting up vegetables and all this stuff. You know, it, it's really good for them to learn this stuff. Right. It does take a little bit longer, but they love to help. So if you have kids, definitely get them involved. They'll eventually probably think it's pretty cool especially if you start growing stuff my son who's four he loves to go out in the garden because we have guinea pigs and get things for the guinea pigs to eat so he'll go out there by himself and come back with handfuls of kale and collard greens and right now i have ryegrass cover crop in my beds and the guineas can eat ryegrass so he goes out there and he just tears up ryegrass and brings it in for the guinea pigs and he can identify like all of the plants i have out there And that's, you know what? That's crazy. Ira is like that too. He's three, but it is just crazy to watch how much kids would rather be outside and rather be in dirt and how much they enjoy it. And to see him around chickens, like he has no fear around chickens. He just snatches them out of the air. And I'm like, look at you go. But for us as adults, we reconnect. Yeah. We get back into that. We see the reasons why, but it's because things are told us. But it's just so interesting that kids always have it. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm really excited yeah. for him to be, for both of my kids to be around chickens. I think they're going to get get a kick out of it. Yeah. Oh, one more tip for people who want to start composting that because that will reduce your waste by so much. Like it's insane when you take all that organic matter out of the trash can. Like there's hardly, well, for us, there's hardly anything left in there. Um, and I've been composting now for a year and a half and I use a Japanese method. It's called Bakashi. If no one's heard about that, you use like this special mixture. It's um some sort of grain mixed with molasses and then like oh. this microbial liquid stuff that you put in there but it ferments the food so then it doesn't smell. So like I keep a bin in my pantry, like a five gallon bucket in my pantry and I just stick food in there. And for every two inches, you cover it with this Bakashi brand and then you let it sit for two weeks and you dump it in your compost bin or you can dump it in a garden bed and cover it with soil and it breaks down in like a month. Really? Versus like six months to a year. Oh my gosh. Um, so if anyone's interested in learning more about that. Link it in the show yeah, notes. We'll link yeah. it in the show notes. All the info on that. we have those. <laughs> right. We have our compost bucket and we just take it straight outside. Yeah. But um, there are days when I'm like, I hate this compost bucket because it yeah. smells so bad. Yeah. Well, that's what's nice about this is like it really doesn't stink. You do have to drain off the liquid, mm-hmm. but you can dilute that and put it on your plants. I know. I was like, do you use compost tea? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So that's that's been a huge, like it made a huge difference. And we feel like during the summer when my garden was producing a lot and we were eating a lot of fresh vegetables, we were filling up a five gallon bucket every month. So if that Whoa. tells you, and that's compressed vegetable scraps. Yeah. So if that tells you like how, like how much we were putting in there. I can't imagine 
sending that to the landfill. If you send organic waste to the landfill, it does not decompose because it doesn't have the right environment. So it turns to methane gas. Yeah. And that's 68 times more potent than carbon dioxide for the first 20 years that it goes into the atmosphere. Methane emissions from the landfill contribute like 16% of the greenhouse gas emissions. This is only, we've only been doing this for like this 70 method. years. Yeah, for yeah. 70 years. Like our, our grandparents would have never done that. Right. You know, they would have never just thrown it out. They would have never done that. It would have gone straight back into the garden. These are yeah. all things we do. Um, you know, like the victory gardens that we talked about right. and, and right. all of that stuff. Like this is what they used to do. So if we're idolizing that time period so much, let's get with it. And I realize that there's a lot of different demands on our lives now, but we also have access to all this technology and all these things that make it so much easier. Yeah. But I just feel like we've just disconnected that one piece. And it's like that swinging pendulum, you know, like now we can be wasteful. We're going to go all the way over here. And it's like, right. okay, cool. We have this technology. Let's swing it back to center and just be like a little bit more mindful. I think a big factor, like a roadblock for people is that they like, they just don't see the impact that it's having Mm -hmm. because if you think about the trash gets taken away every week like if the trash didn't get picked up for a year i think people would realize like if all that trash had to stay in their house right i think they would be shocked and horrified right because like the u.s average i think per person is like seven pounds of waste a day that's a lot of waste and it's and the thing is is like that people don't seem to understand is a lot of that is recyclable like if it was designed to be reused we could hardly throw anything away right like the system is flawed and i mean i don't i don't like to sound like i'm a conspiracy theorist or anything but i mean people but right now i am (laughs) but people make money off the waste yeah like there's a whole conspiracy i recently learned about about keep america beautiful so they were like started to put the guilt on consumers for littering instead of putting the blame on the corporations that were producing the things that they were teaching people to throw away like they would send people pamphlets to teach them how to throw stuff away people didn't understand they're like wait don't i like save this and yeah. reuse it and they're like no you can't reuse plastic you're gonna oh, have I to can't? just okay <laughs> you're just gonna have to throw it away so yeah because people make so much money off of waste like i think we per city we usually pay more for our waste management than we do teachers and all like first responders and like i just think about where our priorities are like right. we prioritize consuming and wasting stuff than we do on education and and all these other things that we should prioritize our health. And so I think a lot of people just don't see that because they, I mean, it gets taken away, you know, out of sight, right. out of mind. But there is no way. Or shipped to China. Or, or shipped to China. Like it's going in the ocean. <laughs> it's going somewhere. Yeah. Just not like in your house. And so I think that's a big thing for people because I mean, we're really throwing our money away. Like with all the stuff that we yeah. throw out, we are throwing our money away yeah it's all about just shifting your thinking and if you make it all about money and show people how much money they're throwing away Mm -hmm. i found that that also like shocks people they're like yeah that's so wasteful like i had no idea that it was 10 percent to packaging Mm -hmm. i was like oh that's that's actually a lot yeah huge it is a lot yeah and most of that i mean most of the packaging like can't be recycled like especially here in southern utah you can only recycle plastics like one and two and a lot of plastics or four and five. And those can't even be recycled anymore. 
it's a whole huge mess. But once you kind of pay attention to how much is plastic, you'll kind of wish that you could unsee it all because it's just kind of maddening. Like I remember one time a a while back, we tried like the Walmart pickup to see if it would make our lives easier. And I was horrified. They individually wrapped every single fruit and vegetable in a plastic bag and then put it all in individual plastic sacks. And I was just like sick to my stomach. (laughs) It's not worth it. I was like, yeah, we're never doing that again. I cannot do that. So if you could start over on your zero waste journey, what's one thing that you wish you knew? That you don't have to buy certain stuff to really get started. Right. Like there's all like they call it like the grammable stuff, mm. all the pretty stuff you post on like Instagram. Um, it makes the picture pretty. But the whole point of zero waste is using what you have and getting thrifty and getting right. like getting creative. Like they call it like depression era thriftiness is like what zero waste is all about. Like if you can avoid spending money, you should avoid spending money mm-hmm. and getting things secondhand. I guess I wish I would have known that using what I had and getting creative was more important than having like the pretty glass jars and, mm-hmm. you know, the pretty bags and all this pretty stuff because it's very pretty. Like right. it's, and it's so appealing to I people. Fall into but that then trap it, so I know hard. I still do. I still do. But it's consuming. And the whole thing is like being not anti-consumerism, but conscious consumerism. And making do with what you and have. And making do with what yeah. you have. So like now I try and I use secondhand fabrics to sew up on my bags. Right. Um, or you can use sheets and sew up your bags. And if anyone needs some bags, let me know and I can I can make you some. But yeah, and like I buy everything I buy everything in glass. So I have a ton of glass jars. I've never had to buy a glass jar to store stuff in because I just buy like all the pasta sauces. I keep all the jars and I store my beans and my my rice and my flour and my sugar. I reuse all of that stuff. Yeah, if I had if I had to start over, I would I would have liked to have known that it was okay. I don't know, that sounds weird to say. Of course it would have been okay. But that that, that was But we're trained as a society to right. think that you need the new stuff. Right. So yeah. I get that. Like isn't that weird that we feel like we need to apologize for not buying new stuff? Yeah. Like that's weird. Like yeah. I have all these organizers, but I need the new ones because they're going right. in this area and this is the path. Yeah. Like no it and it's so ingrained because I still fall into that trap like I'll go into a store like I'll have to go into Target and I want to buy everything and I'm like what is wrong with me like I know the truth I should like be able to walk past it all and not even take a second look I'm like oh that's so cute I want that and it's like no you don't because as soon as you buy it you're gonna go home and feel guilty that's my problem I never feel guilty I'm like that's okay I'll find a spot for this (laughs) (laughs) my husband would probably like it if I could feel less guilty for stuff but but I just stopped going now because yeah. I'm like, I actually know that I can't control myself. So yeah. I'm not It's go. very rare that I go into stores like that anymore because yeah. I know myself too well. So now I go to like thrift stores and antique shops and, you know, you just find, awesome. you find other stuff to kind of fill, fill that need to buy things. Mm-hmm. Like I just bought some seeds for my garden. So instead of going to Lowe's and Home Depot, I went to Allie's Organics yeah. out in Oliverican. It's so cute. I know. I, I go out there as many times as I can. That's I where I buy it. my seeds too because it's just like support local. Haven. Support yeah. local. Yeah. That's awesome. So would you think that's also like your biggest failure or something that you failed at? What do you think is your biggest failure? I think probably my biggest failure was when I tried gardening 
last year was my first time. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing worked. I had, so I tried to start seeds inside because it's a lot cheaper than buying transplants. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I had like nothing sprouted. I had like a zero germination rate and I was so upset. And then when I restarted, I got some things to germinate and then they would die or like I'd transplant them and they'd get transplant shock and they'd die. And then like when it got really hot, I had so many things die. And it was just like one thing after another, things were just dying. And I've never gardened before, except, you know, back in third grade. And so it was a lot to take on, but I'm a like go big or go home kind of person. Mm -hmm. So I knew I couldn't just start with like one little bed. Like I have 400 square feet of garden boxes now. (laughs) Yeah. I took on a lot. <laughs> so Sorry. you got a crack and cackle out of that one. <laughs> oh my gosh, that made me laugh. But that's how I am too. Like Monty was putting in the garden and I was like, nope, do these huge beds. If we're going to put them in, let's put them in. Let's just. Yeah. yeah. But I'm really like looking back. I'm so glad I took on that much because I learned so much. Like you're closing I, the gap faster. Yeah. Like I don't think I would have learned everything. I, I would have learned if I hadn't have tried all of that all at once. And I still, I had a really successful garden, I would think for my first time, like the whole month of June, we didn't buy a single thing or produce at the store. Wow. I grew it all. Yeah. So that was super motivating and inspiring. And so like I took the winter off to like learn more and, you know, hone my craft for the spring. So now I have a whole new system I'm going to try out and I'm really excited. Like I I got all my seeds. I'm doing my planning for my planting. And I, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I'm sure I'm going to still fail, but that if you're not failing, you're not learning. Right. So I'm probably going to have you know, more failures this year, but then I'll just learn more for next year yeah. or next season. And St. George is hard. That's, I, you know, like that's what uh, this podcast is all about. It is so tricky because within your own yard, you can have three or four different subclimates. Right. And you can have these microclimates and stuff like that. And and something will grow here because it gets just half an hour more of shade. And right. people are like, oh no, that's not. But you'll hear in the desert. Yeah. You get a half an hour worth of shade, you're going to grow as opposed to the guy who's only getting like 15 minutes. You know, yeah. it's, it is incredible. The desert is, I mean, it's so crazy how fertile and how much just grows here and what you can do. And there's all these weird trails of water that go through that water all this stuff so we do have some wild apples and stuff but it's just so interesting in your own backyard where things will grow and where they won't yeah yeah well, yeah. And also that's why I mean, I've really gotten into seed saving. Mm. And that's why I think seed saving is so, so important because seeds learn after every single year. So they'll adapt to your microclimate. Right. So that's why like I'm going to start saving my seeds from all the stuff I plant here because then they'll be more drought tolerant. They'll be more, you know, pest resistant to right. the ones we have here because most of the seeds you buy are from like Indiana or yeah. China. And like, they're not going to work here. And they're not going to work. <laughs> I mean, you might still get something they might still grow, but they're not going to be adapted to the local climate we have. So that's why I think seed saving is, it's a really important step. I want to become certified as a, a seed teacher. And I'm for it. I'm 100% behind this. So I can teach every everyone how to save their own seeds. <laughs> and it's also be cheaper because buying seeds is really expensive. They are. They're so expensive. Yeah. And a side note, if you are going to start your own garden, please buy heirloom seeds. You want to buy heirloom. Yeah, it's just, well, another thing that I recently learned about is like if you buy like the GMO seeds or any of the seeds that are owned by like a lot of the the big seed companies. It's illegal to save them. It's illegal to save them. Yeah. And I just like, I think about that and I'm like, they're trying to make it impossible for us to be self-sufficient. Like I just learned about there's this whole 
like international deal going on where they're trying to convince these communities in Africa to sell them their seeds that they've been saving for like 10,000 years. They've been working with these seeds and they're telling them that if they want to be involved in the World Trade Organization, they have to sell them their seeds and patent them, which means that those growers will no longer be able to save their own seeds. They will have to buy them every single year. And seeds are so expensive. They're not going to be able to afford it. And they're going to go underground. Like they're not going to be able to grow their own food. That's a whole nother conversation. But it, I mean, and I think back like a couple of years ago, if someone had said that to me, I would have been like, oh, that's sad. Like, cause I didn't get it. Mm. And I'm like, I get how important that is and how big of an impact that can make. When you start learning things about food, you know, like you said this, you can't unsee it. It's so crazy when you start looking into the beginning and the stuff that's happening and the patenting the seeds and this and this, there has been a concerted effort by all parties involved to yeah. detach the American people and people in general from their food source. Driving that line has caused such a division in the community. It's taken you away from your community. It's taken you away from healthy food. It's right. isolated you. Now you're dependent on someone else and whoever you're dependent on has the power. It's just, it's hard not to see it that way when you start looking into the history and what's happened and, yeah. and watching what's happening now. Well, unlike the conventional agriculture, like the food we get, it's not healthy for us because one thing that I've really been learning is the health of the soil dictates the health of the food. So if the soil that your food is being grown in is not healthy, that food does not have all the nutrients it should. And so like I think about the people who are trying to do their best, you know, they're going to these stores and they're buying the all the infertility and really healthy girls. You're like, what the heck? Yeah. Well, and all like the the problem, like the health issues, like the rate of cancer and all the neurological disorders that are coming up now. I mean, it's all unprecedented. Like this never was as big of a problem as it is now. And I think it all goes back to food because the food that we're being fed isn't making us healthy. Like, did you listen to that podcast I sent you about the, the chickens? And the Omega-6. Yeah, I listened to a few, a little bit of it. I only got halfway through. So this guy was talking about how all these CAFOs, the confined animal feeding operations, like the cows and the and the chickens, they're not being fed a species-specific diet, meaning they're being fed corn and soy, which if you know anything about chickens and cows, they are not evolved to, to eat, eat chickens and soy. soy. <laughs> yeah. They are evolved to eat grass and bugs and chickens, or not not cows. Cows are supposed to eat grass. Chickens can eat bugs and grass and seeds. Yeah. Like that's what they're evolved to eat. And so when they eat corn and soy, it spikes the omega-6 in their meat. And what that does is it spikes the, the inflammation in our bodies. And if you know about inflammation, you know that causes a whole bunch of disease and illness. And chronic inflammation can cause cancer and yeah. a whole other range of problems and that's all because they're trying to find cheap feed for these 30 to 40,000 chickens they're sticking in the house that and they have like a square foot per hen because I think like I know so many people and they try and be healthy so they go and they buy chicken and veggies but what they don't know is the chicken and veggies they're buying aren't making them healthy you can see it so much with tomatoes Because tomatoes are disgusting now when you buy them from the store because they've got all the flavor out of them and they're gross. And corn, they have genetically modified it now to be good to make fuel. Do you really think that that is what we're supposed to be eating? I just wish people would would know the quality of their food totally dictates on either how it's being raised or how it's being grown. And that's why you pay more. That's why you pay a farmer. That's why it's more expensive because it takes so much more time and effort. And what you're saying, like most food is being grown for yields and uniformity disease resistance and all that stuff mm-hmm. like it's not grown for taste so that's why all the fruits and vegetables you see in a store all look 
100% the same. When you grow your own food, you're going to have some weird looking stuff. Like I was growing eggplants that had stuff like knobs growing all out the sides and weird looking zucchinis and squashes and they don't look as you know pretty as they do in the in the grocery store they don't all look the same but they sure taste better and then the other thing too that i think that people misunderstand is they think that we're just talking about pesticides if you think pesticides are the only chemical that's going into your food you're crazy like the apple farmers were telling me around here that they what they do is they have all of these chemicals that they put on and it triggers the tree to turn color so then they pick it so the food's not even ripe it's not oh. even it hasn't even aged on the thing then you yeah. put it in the the shipping containers mm-hmm. and they put a basically like a bug bomb in the middle of it and it explodes and as long as you keep the door shut those apples can keep for up to six years oh yeah yeah because a lot of apples they are not fresh yeah like they're at least a year old yeah in the store are you kidding me and so the the ones you're buying in the store they're not even that color they're not even ripe you're not getting the full nutrients out of it you're getting as fast as they can it's been doused in chemicals not just pesticides that are on the inside the trail that's coming from that is so crazy and so that yeah well and most food travels 1500 miles from farm to table right so I started reading the book, The oh, Animal Vegetable Miracle, yeah. and it's just talking about like asparagus, how you only have two weeks out of the year where asparagus is gro- like growing to be yeah. harvested. And I think about how many times, like right now, I went to the store yesterday and there's asparagus and it is January. <laughs> like, I just wonder where the heck is that asparagus coming from? And it's the same thing. Like if you see watermelon in April, that's not normal. Or like fruits, like strawberries, you should not be seeing those right now. Right. They are not in season. And so I just think about that health toll. Like we're supposed to be eating stuff in season. That's why we have seasons. We're supposed to be getting all the nutrients and vitamins and minerals based on the season and what there is. Nature is so smart, so intelligent. And it blows my mind that people think we know more than like millions of years of evolution. Nature knows there's an answer for everything. The hubris of man. So what inspires you and and motivates you to keep going? Well, I really think it comes back to being a parent. Like I think probably having kids is kind of what got me into looking into all this stuff because um, I was listening to an online course and the guy, he runs a Kiss the Ground. That's an organization that's all about soil advocacy. And he was talking about a dream he had where he imagined being with his granddaughter when they were refugees in a camp because of global warming, like everything got messed up. And his granddaughter looking at him and saying, did you know? And he was like, yeah, I didn't do anything. It's hard being a woman, you guys, when, especially when we like have kids. It's like that hits you so hard. Like it's the truth, you know? I know. Yeah. I can't imagine them asking me like, did you know? And did you do anything? And I just can't imagine saying, yeah, I knew. And I didn't think it was a big deal. You know, I, I, I thought everything would be fine. And so I don't want to be that person. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's awesome. It's all about being a good ancestor, right? I think that's the kind of reaction that everyone is having now. You know, the United Nation report that says we only have 70 years of topsoil left, if that. Like, there's just this very visceral fear and reaction. And it's just like, we've got to do something, especially for our kids. That just makes it all feel so real. Like, that doesn't feel that far away when you really think about it. So... Yeah, I think that's definitely what what motivates me and inspires me is making sure they have a world that's worth living in. And some people might think that's a little extreme and that everything is going to be fine. And even if everything is going to be fine, like, yay, like I hope, but nothing that I'm doing is going to 
hurt. Make, yeah, it's, no, it's not going to hurt. The worst thing that's going to happen is my kids are going to learn how to grow their own food and can right. and preserve stuff and mend their own clothing. Oh, boo-hoo. Like, that right. sounds so terrible. And they're going to have an awareness and they're going to understand. And, you know, so if everything turns out great, then awesome. They're going to have education and the resources to know how to take care of themselves, even if things are all okay. Like I, I'm not excited about the way industrial agriculture is going in no. general. Like yeah. I just, I don't see how everything is going to be okay with well, how things are going. Yeah. And if everything does turn out okay, it's because a lot of people did a lot of little things right, or big things, you know, right. we need big things. I totally get it. And that's great. And it's so cute. I can't handle it. You're such a good mom. Oh, thanks. <laughs> all right. So um, final questions. So what makes Utah special to you? Well, for me, I mean, I don't know if you ever met anyone from Texas, but there's like a diehard Texas pride. And so I always thought I was going to end up back there. And so it took me a while. I mean, I've lived in Utah for, geez, five years now. And it took me a long time to be like, okay, Utah's awesome. And I think for me, I mean, I've met a lot of really great people here. For me personally, I, I love how beautiful it is. And I just feel like that's so special. Like I can just go outside and just feel so connected because it just, it's so serene. Like I love you, Texas, but you don't have mountains like this. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's just, it's not, <laughs> it's not the same. I, we're so blessed to live in such a beautiful place. And I just hope everyone sees how special it is and has that motivate them to take care of it and preserve that beauty. It, it won't still be there if we think it's just for us. Right. There is a you in Utah, so take care of it. <laughs> I like that. I know. That, that can be our first swag. Rights reserved. Okay, what's your favorite part about the farmer's market community? Well, I'm just excited that we even have a farmer's market community. Mm-hmm. I think that's really special to start off with. But yeah, I was really surprised because I started going this past, I think, uh, May. And I was just surprised at how busy it was. And how big it was, because I really haven't been to that many farmer's markets that were that size. I think it just, it feels really fun to be in it at this stage. Like, it feels really exciting right now, and there's a lot going on. So, I really like that I'm, you know, getting involved with the community right now. I think there's a lot of special stuff that's that's happening. So special. <laughs> the sizzle. Do you have a favorite book or publication or a me- social media account that you turn to for inspiration? Yes. So one of the first books I started reading that kind of shocked me and horrified me, but was really good to read is uh, The Story of Stuff by Annie mm. Leonard. I don't know if that really, it, it is inspirational, but it's also a really hard read. It's like, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a hard read. So that's a warning to you. Maybe add that on later on your list after you read a couple other things, but it's really good information to know. I think everyone needs to be aware of everything she talks about in that book. Um, you mentioned this book, The the Breeding Sweetgrass. Yeah. That is such a good one. And I, that's the definitely, I think maybe read that before you read Story of Stuff, but something that is really inspiring, everyone needs to watch The Biggest Little Farm. It's on Hulu, I believe, and I think it's on Amazon. Everyone should watch that because that is inspiring. It is so well done and it is so beautiful and you will learn the principles of regenerative agriculture, basically. But they show it in such a beautiful way. Like, you will cry, just warning you, and well, unless you're not as sensitive as I am. That one is definitely very inspirational. I highly recommend. Awesome. Why should people buy local food and support the farmer's market? Well, by supporting local, you are strengthening the local economy. And I think that's 
really important because people just need to connect back to who's making their food. I mean, we've become so disconnected. And I, I just, I think when, when you meet the people, you shake their hand, you know their name, like it creates such like a stronger connection. Like now I'm buying the chicken from Cherith Brook because like I can't go back. It's delicious. It is delicious. But also like I have that personal connection now. Like I, I know who they are. I know their story. I know their background. I've seen their farm. I'd rather help your kids go to school. Right, yeah. right. Right. If you buy like the generic stuff from the grocery store, like it's it's not it's not really helping anybody. There's like six major companies that control like all the food in the United States. You're giving them your money. Give the local farmers your money. You will make such a bigger impact. And if listeners want to learn more about what you're doing, how can they find you? So I have an Instagram. It's the lighthouse. So that's the underscore light l-y-t underscore house and i need to get more active on that but i i share like zero waste tips and this spring i'm hopefully going to share more gardening tips for people here in the high desert and it's a beautiful feed you guys so even if you just want to go over there and goggle it and then i also do the zero waste wednesdays on the mofico instagram and facebook you can get your weekly zero waste tips on there and is there anything else that we didn't cover that you want to share i really hope people start paying attention to what they're buying, who they're buying it from, how it's being made. I mean, I will say ignorance is definitely bliss, but I think there's so much value in becoming a conscious consumer. Right. And even if you don't want to, even if that doesn't appeal to you, buying one thing each grocery trip or one thing each week or even 10% of your grocery budget, keeping it local makes a huge difference. Huge. Yeah. Start small. Try try adding like one new thing you're going to do. You can check out the zero waste tips for that because I I start at the very beginning. (laughs) So, all right. Well, awesome. I'm so glad that we got to sit down and talk to you. I know. Me too. We get to know your backstory because it's pretty awesome. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you found this podcast, especially on iTunes. If you have a specific question that you would like to ask us or our farmers, makers, or educators, send us an email at podcast at mofacoutah.com and let us know. Another way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporting member starting at only $2 a month. We have different levels of membership that grant access to special members-only swag like shirts, hats, bags, magnets, and stickers that show your support for your local community. To learn more, please visit mofacoutah.com slash podcast slash support. Make sure you are following us on Facebook and Instagram at mofacoutah and sign up for our email list at mofacoutah.com slash podcast slash sign up to stay up to date on all this podcast has to offer. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back in your feed in two weeks. But until then, we hope Hope to to see you at the farmer's market. The music for this episode was created by Southern Utah local Jake Shepard. 